0: Welcome to the Behind the Goals podcast, the podcast about fans, for fans and by fans. Please welcome your hosts, Andrew Jenkin and Alan Russell.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 44 of Behind the Goals. We've got a a treat of an episode this week. That's
2: right, yeah. We've got a a very well-known guest onto the podcast, Um, So he has a long playing career, Um, he's been involved in coaching, he's a Fans Bet ambassador or sponsors Um, and And more
1: importantly he He boosted my West Ham team to promotion on Championship Manager several years ago. (laughs) A deadly partnership with, who was it? John Hartson. With John Hartson. (laughs) Fantastic. John Hartson and Brian McClare up front. Yeah, yeah.
2: So we didn't actually share the detail with Brian about his his starring role in Championship Manager for West Ham.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, He had plenty to talk about already without that.
1: Yes, he did. Um, A great, great conversation. Really, really nice guy. And, um, yeah, he's... uh, just a very down to earth guy as well. That's right. That's um, right. Just a, a very different type of player. I think you, when you you spoke about a player like in the sort of mould of Pat Nevin and Graham Lasce, players that are, seem more articulate and I don't, they always mm-hmm. get accused of being sort of weird. Yeah, it's it, we, good to talk to him about. that And we had a bit
2: of fun with that. You kind of referred to referred to the weirdos of football yeah. being being the guys that are interesting to talk to. Yeah. Um, so yeah. A really good conversation with Brian where we explored his, his playing career um, and his kind of approach to football um, and then also you know talked about what he's done since since hanging up the boots and uh, in, in, in coaching at Manchester United uh, and more recently uh, as a Fans Bet ambassador. Mm-hmm. So we'll let you hear the interview now um, with Brian and we'll speak to you again at the end. Okay, so welcome to the Behind the Goals podcast. Um, today, Andrew and I are joined by uh, someone who will be very well known to our listeners, Brian McLear. Um, Brian is obviously well known from his time as a footballer uh, and in coaching, um, but he is a, an ambassador for FansBet, who are uh, the sponsor, are one of the sponsors of of the, the Scottish Supporters Network. Um, so, welcome, Brian, onto the podcast. It's great to talk to you. Thanks, Alan. Uh,
1: Brian, I wondered if we could we could kickstart this interview by asking you about your sort of early early career and and playing for Motherwell were you always a Motherwell fan because you played for them for in two different stints was was that your team when you were growing up in Bells Hill no because I mean it's it's funny how it,
0: it, uh, I was only actually in Bells Hill for one night because that's where the baby factory was
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so uh, I think if you look at um, an awful lot of players around about that time I was born in 63 you see they were born in Bells Hill but actually they they were reared elsewhere you know I okay. think uh, I think Halle McQuest might be another one as well but uh, and it, it would suggest that uh, Bellshill is a, it was a, at that time a particular hotbed for talent, probably, not just in football or other sports too, but it's because that's where all the mothers got shipped to uh, when they went into labour. You know? A hotbed so I, I for was, midwifery. I was brought up in Airdrie. That's my, that's my hometown, so that's where I was.
2: And did you support Airdrie as a, as a child?
0: I went to see Airdrie as a, as a kid, yeah. Um. Mm. Um. Lots of really nice memories of of going to watch teams. about one of the things that popped in my head, and talking about football, was that I, I had uh, I saw something that's pretty unique in football. It, uh, it was at Broomfield at the time, which is no longer there. When they played uh, Celtic in a cup tie, I think it was, and Dennis Corrigan, the uh, the goalkeeper of Celtic, managed to throw the ball into his own net. <laughs>
1: wow. <laughs> Impressive. Um,
0: Impressive good, good for him, though. There was uh, there was no TV cameras in <laughs> <Yeah. that was laughs> the game, you know. So,
1: before the days of TV. So, so your sort of youth career growing up. Were you playing in teams in Airdrie when you got spotted at Aston Villa? I played in teams in Edry and, Colt Bridge, and uh-huh. uh when, when I was sixteen, I went to Aston Villa. Mm-hmm. What was the what was that like when you were just sixteen?
0: Well, I mean, I'd been down to Aston Villa several times on uh, on trial and uh, they made it very, very welcome. And, uh, and the youth development officer at the time, uh, Dave Richardson, who wanted to have a long career in youth football, had, had promised that he would uh, help me continue my education because it was something that mm. had been drummed into me as a very young person, that your football career could be over at any moment uh, in time. And uh, my parents would, would always encourage me that, you know, to get your get your hires to give you an opportunity to, uh, to go on to further education, which I did later on. In the year. I was at Villa through a year and a bit, and I came back and I went to uni and I, and I signed part time with uh, Motherwell for Ali MacLeod. I,
2: I wanted to ask you about uh, your time. You know, combining. Uh, playing football and going to university, you know, there's there's stereotypes about footballers that uh, they're not particularly well educated, and the ones who the ones who are the are are, are seen as a bit of a curiosity. I mean, Pat Nevin and Graham Grimless, so gets uh, are, are two that get singled out for being weirdos because they're intelligent and well read. But I, I imagine it's actually probably a little bit more common than that. Uh, and you're well, and you're, you're probably uh, probably not they, the only they, intelligent footballer at Motherwell at the time. No, I don't
0: think I was the only intelligent one. I, I, I think that always the case is that nearly always the case is is there's an awful lot of people who go into football but they concentrate on the football and they don't get the qualifications because that's they they fell in love with football Uh, and um, consequently the the academic education went went uh, was secondary or or tertiary even in some cases Uh, you will find that you don't find many that you would say were outright daft, you know, so, mm. so I take it, if parts weird, then uh, being one, being a, uh, a close friend of mine, that means that I'm weird as well,
3: doesn't
0: <laughs> it, so, and I don't, I've never had a problem with any of that kind of thing, either, you know, because it's always good, I think, to have something, uh, something that, uh, I suppose, something to talk about, something else to say, you know, that, um, the, the, the fact that you read books is, is sometimes uh, quaint, you know.
2: Yeah, yeah. So in terms, of, in terms of when you were playing uh, at, at Motherwell, who was it that brought you to to, to Motherwell? Who was the, the manager and the coaches at the time?
0: Well, I had uh, I had, I had experienced the, uh, the very highs and the very lows of football over a period of about 24 hours. I would got I got called into uh, the office at Aston Villa. Now, I don't know why they decided that, but I got called into the office on my own as a 17-year-old to speak to Ron Saunders who had been the, the, the manager of the the team that had won the first division the the season before. So in the, in the pre-season I got called in on my own to see him and he was a fierce man. And uh, just told, no warning, uh, we're going to let you go. We'll pay mm-hmm. you up and all that. And I was like, "Oh, um, right, well, <laughs> okay. And eventually, I went home, uh, packed my bags and I went back to uh, Scotland.
2: Um, and that was after about that, did you say a year or two just years over year, the, just,
0: just over, the year, just over yeah. a year Yeah. and then uh, at, uh, at that weekend full enough uh, uh, I was at uh, the, the uh, Lancashire Cup games and I bumped into Davey Hay who I'd known before i went to Arsenal and he said come in on the Monday to, to Motherwell and, and uh, so that, uh, that Alec McLeod can have a look at you and I went in on the Monday and uh, Ali uh, called me into his office, and I told him that I was going to university and things. And he said, uh, "I want you to play for the first team tomorrow." <laughs> and I was like, "What?
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, I yeah, want you to play first team tomorrow in a League Cup game." So I was, I had been given that.
2: And that, that was uh, that was purely on Davy Hayes' recommendation. No, no, sure. I'm ad- I'll, 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 I went on the Monday and I trained on the. Mo- I went on the Monday morning. I had a coach in a training session on the Monday morning and on the Monday afternoon he called me in the office says, uh, "I want
0: wow. you, I want to sign you, and I want I'm going to play you in the first team tomorrow." Must have been some training session. <laughs> well, I don't know what happened there, you know, but I, I didn't play because I said that I was I was going to allow someone else that, uh, that I knew that it was a scout at Celtic to have an opportunity to say yes or no. Okay. They uh, didn't take up the opportunity of sign for Motherwell, and I played the following week. Yeah, but uh, not, not long after that, Ali lost his job, and David Hay got the post, and uh, Motherwell went on a an unbeaten run that would see them win the first division championship that year. And I, I was, I wasn't really in in it, you know. So I was in it at the end. I was in enough games to get a medal. So I've got mm-hmm. a, that was my first uh, senior medal as a Scottish first division championship medal. Well
1: wow. So during during Motherwell, you scored uh, a few big goals for the club whilst you're there, including a hat trick against Rangers and, and two past Celtic. What was what was that like for you? Because you must have been, fairly, well, been mean, fairly young at the time. People are talking about what
0: position you played and thing. I'd never played as a forward until mm. one night. Uh, Jock Wallace and Frank Connor. who were the, the Jock was the manager and Frank was his assistant. in the the, se- the second year I was in, in Motherwell, and they were in the Premier League then, and they were they were they weren't winning games or they weren't certainly. Scoring a lot of goals And they said to me About being It was It was sometimes Difficult to understand Because they uh, They kind of spoke In riddles (laughs) uh, In between between Shouting at you You know So I wasn't really Quite sure what they meant About Playing as a forward I'd never tried it I'd never been up front I'd always enjoyed Scoring goals But I'd never Played as a forward Uh, And I said I'll have a go at it Yeah So I played In the youth team The following night In the Scottish Youth Cup And uh, I scored Three in a 4-3 defeat Mm -hmm. And uh, that was me. I, was, uh, I played up front uh, for the rest of the season. For Motherwell, scoring enough goals and we won enough games to secure the to secure the uh, their presence in the Premier League for the following season. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's but, how I became a, a forward. I, like, never, and I guess that would never say I was a forward, really.
2: You know? that, that would be the, the early eighties. Is that right? Yeah, uh, that would
0: have
1: been um, um, 82, 83, 82 83, yeah. yeah. Okay. So then, not lo- not long after that, you you. Sort of the offer came along to sign for Celtic. What were you? What was going yeah. on in your head at that point? Well, I mean,
0: it wasn't really. I had I'd been in uh, I'd been in Mexico for the uh, under nineteen World Cup with Scotland, and um, we'd got knocked out in the quarterfinals. Uh, and it'd been a, an incredible experience being out there doing um, preparation, high altitude training in Colorado where the uh, US Olympic squad used to do their training and, and qualifying and then we went down to to uh, Mexico City and, a, and another uh, town that was even higher up than Mexico so it was in, it was a I think it was the first time I'd ever been out of the country as well. So I had that uh, had a lot of interesting experiences over that period of time. When I came home, um my brother had got a call from Jock Wallace to say to call him back. This is I thought Oh well still a while away from pre-season I didn't really know what it would be about And I phoned him
3: and uh, Jock was very succinct he said, I said hi it's uh, Brian I've sold you
0: <laughs> <laughs> get your ass over here and I drove over to Fur Park where he was and he said you've got to go and, and I went into Celtic Park uh, to meet Billy McNeil and that was it uh, yeah, then and again I was sitting there on my having well Well, was in nineteen then I think eighteen nineteen trying to negotiate with with Billy McNeil over a mm. um, over a full time contract at Celtic, having never done it before, you know. Mm,
1: so, yeah. and did you have an agent? No, I was nothing like that. Then. Yeah.
0: It was just me alone, me and Billy in the in the office. That was it, you know. So and uh, he. Um, we made me an offer. I, I suggested that maybe that if he you change it a bit, and uh and he slid down in his seat and he pointed his finger at me and he called me a greedy, greedy wee boy. <laughs> wow. So I signed.
1: <laughs> Negotiations, huh? <laughs> um, well, I yeah, I'm not. No, it was just it, it was the I mean, it was. I think it was pretty decent money, really.
0: Considering that I was a student, you know So mm. I wasn't like I wasn't thinking that I mean, right away At that particular time um uh, that, that I was in that I was in a situation Where I could buy a home, you know mm. <laughs> So right, right. it wasn't too bad so It wasn't too shabby For yeah. a, a student I'd only been a student Like the week before And I was in a position That I could buy a house, you know So
2: so did you leave university To, to go into full-time football then, I guess? I did I yeah. thought that um and I still did. I still have the same view that uh, I could always go
0: back to university at some point, uh, that uh, to to continue my uh, further education in case I needed it. Uh, but I've never
1: needed it so far, so I've mm-hmm. never been back. Okay. So you, I just, just done the
0: university of life instead.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, the proper one. Um, so you obviously had a lot, a number of success, successes whilst you were with Celtic. Are there any that sort of stand out to you as as a kind of key highlight?
0: Uh, no, I wouldn't say that. I, I mean, when you get to the, the age that I am now, that you you reflect in a kind of different way than you probably would as a youth. And I look at all the way through my career, some of the bad times is actually in a kind of more of an affectionate way now than I maybe did at the time because it, it, it all fitted together into the one big hole, which for me was an amazing, epic journey really of a huge amount of success really yeah. uh, and and then when I reflect when you look at that kind of thing compared to other people and other friends that have been involved in football that, that some of my disappointments you know, obviously losing in Scottish Cup finals or, or Scottish League Cup finals they would probably look upon that as success in that they'd never played in finals mm. of, of that uh, standing so, so I never choose any I don't look at any particular bit and say that ah, that was the, the very best. That was the nadir, you know. But mm. so oh. I'm grateful for all of those. I'm mm. Grateful for all the time that I, I spent avoiding uh, proper working.
1: <laughs> <laughs> how did how did the move to Manchester United come about? Um, the the Celtic had decided
0: that they weren't going to continue any more contract negotiations. There was a number of us at contract, Mother McLeod, um, Alan McAnally and and right through the whole time, um, they had the because of what they did, it was clear, and uh, that the priority was to to sign Morris Johnson. Mm. And uh, I think that um, Morris and his representative were were playing a bit of a game, and Celtic got a bit fed up with it, so they decided to suspend um, all negotiations with any players. Uh, and I was informed. By David here. That uh, a particular period of the season that I could speak to to other clubs who had made it clear they were interested, and in, in one of those clubs were Manchester
2: United. And you'd obviously you know faced faced Aberdeen um, and possibly yeah. St Mirren before then when Ferguson was in charge there, so he would know you very well as a player. Well, I didn't know him at all, and I mean, I, I
0: mean, he, he he would know me, he would know me because his homework was very thorough. Um, that I discovered subsequently, both when I was playing, when I was a player under him, and then when I was coaching under him, uh, he knew well, he wanted an Everton uh, because he wanted to. Uh, I suppose narrow down the um, uh, the negatives that may occur. He wanted to be able to really. Th- be able to um, meet them in case anything to the game to happen, you know. So, I think the main reason why the one of the main reasons him and actually Knox were interested in making me a, one of the first or um, well, their first signing, along with Ed Anderson, was uh, the number of times I was available to pull the, the shit over my head, you know.
3: Uh-huh. Uh-huh.
0: So, because I was very rarely ill or injured, and even if I was, I just tended to go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so that that may have been. Uh-huh. But I mean, yeah, at Manchester United, I had been my childhood English team since since the early seventies. When I watched uh, Dennis Law backheel the ball into the back of the net, <laughs> yeah, uh, a lot of people said there was a goal that sent Manchester United down, but it wasn't actually, you yeah. know. And Dennis, uh, Dennis just walked off the pitch, which I thought was quite a, uh, a statement, really, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. that he scored the goal and just walked off the pitch, you know. Yeah, so, just doing his job. Yeah. yeah yeah, but he didn't celebrate like he did several other goals, both for for
1: uh, Manchester United uh, and for Scotland. Mm. Uh-huh. So I was reading whilst researching this that y- you you signed for eight hundred and fifty thousand, but that wasn't <laughs> the fee that Celtic wanted for you, which was no. which was the two million, which would have made you the most expensive British player at that time. I mean, how did that situ? How how involved were you in that situation, or was that sort of just nothing you were involved in at all?
0: Yeah, uh, well, we went to tribunal. The um, the contracts up. If you can't agree, which they couldn't agree. Now, what what Chelsea used as their evidence um, was that they said they said that Chelsea had bid uh, that kind of figure, or Chelsea had bid that kind of figure um, of of the two million, whereas I think United had offered. Six fifty or something like that, uh, and I think John Barnes went to Liverpool for nine hundred thousand the same same season. Uh, the what had happened with the, the Chelsea thing? I had spoken to because uh, because we went to tribunal in the summer. Um, that I was I was I was asked to come in to to, to, to be questioned over events of the. Of the transfer epic saga whatever it was and uh, it was it was easy enough for me to remember when I'd spoken to John Hollands because I'd spoken to him at uh, one of the dinners either the the football writers dinner or the players player of the year dinner of which I was there. Uh, I I was given the award mm-hmm. at both events and, and he, he kind of cornered me at the one and said, told, said to me that he wanted me to sign for Chelsea he gave me a bit of paper with some figures on it, and um, I said, Look, I, I'm, I want to go to Manchester United. And he said, he said, Well, we'll finish above Manchester United next season. And I said, Oh, well, okay, thanks very much. Nice to meet you, and whatever, you know. And he, he stormed off. So I, 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 so I knew I told him on that date that I wasn't going to Chelsea. Yeah, it's part of the, the evidence that Celtic submitted that mm-hmm. uh, after that, Quite clear the uh, conversation that I'd had and the fact that uh, John Holmes stormed away uh, was, well, why then did they put in a bid for me a week later? Yeah, yeah. So I think that was probably the evidence that, <laughs> right. that you know, and then as I say, John Barnes went to Liverpool for, for 900,000, so I think he's about the same age as me, and mm-hmm. similar, well, mm-hmm. and, um, I mean, I and in, still an awful lot of money really at the time, but. I think united overall were i think united in fact, i i thought remember they were they were saying that they would like they thought you know they'd offered six fifty they thought seven fifty eight hundred maybe eight fifty top so mm-hmm. man Edwards certainly got well from his view of what he was his top line of for what he was willing to pay you know yeah,
2: yeah. Mm. So i he, think it was fair, yeah. I mean your first few seasons there at uh, at Man United must have been a bit of a shock to you you know your first season at Motherwell winning the winning the the, the first division championship and then a successful few few years at Celtic uh, and then um, you know, Alex Ferguson's you know first few seasons at, at Man United are well documented and that they struggled and speculation that he was one game away from 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 the sack and came through it um what was that like as a as a player having experienced you know a lot of success and to 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 then be faced with with that level of of scrutiny and criticism of the team that you were playing for.
0: Well, Alex Ferguson, the reason why I went because he 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 sold me the the the, the idea and, and the subsequent dream. He said that uh, he wanted to build rebuild a football club. Uh, and do you want to be part of it? Because you could play a big part in this.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And I I was. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea to me. And all the way through, you could see, um, there, there had to be, there had to be changes made because there was, there was a lot of players that were very good players, but weren't, weren't, weren't fit enough, healthy enough to mm-hmm. play games.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and he had to make the changes and, and he's brave enough to do it. And we all know that how successful it yeah. became. Yeah. The, the toughest time was, yeah, was, uh, was, that year of eighty nine, ninety, we 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 almost got dragged into a relegation battle, and all the way through, Alex Ferguson made you aware of exactly what he thought and felt about you, uh, but he would never, he would never do that in public. And all through that period of time, he was getting proper lambasted from all corners of of the media that, that was available uh, then. The, the the written media and the radio and television Um and every day he was getting it we were maybe getting it on the day after the game or maybe the, the Monday after the game he was getting it every day and he never he never once said uh, publicly that we were crap or we did this mm-hmm. or that he had this he just he just Took it on board himself and kind of shielded us a, a lot
2: from it. So, so rather um, than being a sort of siege mentality, it was more he took it on the chin and he absorbed. Well, that it all that—that was his thing from right
0: from the beginning. He, he made it clear that what, what he was, what he made it clear that, that for him, that, uh, the only things that were important that were the people in that dressing room mm. or in that particular club, and that and that was the ones that was that was always Mars. You know, everything else was uh, um, it was. He wasn't interested in it, you know. This is the only way that you can be successful with the people in the, in that and that. And he also said that if anybody didn't fancy it, just come and see me there. they'd let them go, you know. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. One thing I want to ask you about, and I know you'll you'll get asked about it repeatedly, so I'll I'll turn the question a little bit, Brian, is uh, the twenty one man brawl against Arsenal. want I want to yeah. know why Arsenal got docked two points, but Man United got docked one point yeah because they would misbehaved before ah I see okay so this is so repeat, repeat offenders. they had already got Dr. Point from a previous uh, um,
0: brawl that I, that I could get blamed for but I don't think I was involved I'm quite <laughs> happy to get blamed for that
3: as well <laughs> it's like you get
0: like but there's, there's uh as I say before going back to the different events it, it wasn't it wasn't the best of events mm. but uh it's, 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 a, it's a great talking point and um, and I think what you can look at again, if you, the, 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 the positive aspect from, from both Arsenal's point of view and my United's point of view is that the players, uh, you manage say quite often, you should be happy he's in the team today, happy he's in the team today, you should be happy he's in the team today. When you look over your shoulder, if anything happens, they'll be there for you, you know? Mm-hmm. And that happened uh, both for for Arsenal, the Arsenal players, and for us. Um, The only one that 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 didn't get involved was was uh, Spunky David Seaman, who I think his ponytail (laughs) was just just, (laughs) just, uh, at the time and his moustache. Maybe he just, oh, he just couldn't be asked. They thought he must have thought to himself, "The
1: time I get there, it'll all be finished." Uh So he just. He just Stayed in the I saw I saw Alan Smith Talking about it Recently actually And he I think he yeah. said That he got involved Momentarily And then realised That it was a bit too uh, A bit too much For him Before he bailed <laughs> out
0: Well I mean That's it This lad got You know a good photograph Of uh, Michael Thomas has got me by the throat With with Tony Adams Behind him And And uh, and with, then you had the, the very brave Anders Limpar who came running around behind me and punched me in the side of the head. Yeah. So, uh, and then he got chased around uh,
1: the, the, the pitch like it was a playground. It was like, you're watching it in slow motion. And uh, mm.
0: uh, Paul Ince caught him and pinned him down at the side of the pitch. Just where, uh, just like around about where Di Maria took a dive off the pitch the other mm. night. off mm. got yeah. touched off the pitch. And it was like that then. So, I still had the fences up then. And, and Paul had... had, had at, uh, handers by the, by the throat You know but Great,
2: great entertainment the I think that's the easy, wo- easily Worth a, a mm. point great. It was great entertainment I think that's easily Worth a point uh, to, well, to, to put uh, that on Well yeah it's, uh, it's probably, It
0: was probably It was worth the Two weeks Wages I got fined as well you know, yeah. so. <laughs> But the thing that Is that as well You look at it the, You watch all the Thing all the way Through And The uh, what happens at the end of it Keith Hackett who's a, who's a referee of renown at the time and uh, and gone on to be a, uh, a referee uh, educator and uh, assessor he consider uh, what happens you know as I say that the, the things that are incidents that happened in that very short period of time he uh, he booked um, um, Winterburn and that was it right that was it <laughs> that
1: was it the only book <laughs> Yeah, for, they,
0: yeah. The, the FA decided the team should be get punished, not the individuals. I think I got away with that. Mm. Um, I've never been, I never, I was never sent off in my in the whole of my life as a football player. So I think I managed to get away with one there. Mm. Yeah. But I, I may away a few times, but certainly
1: one there. You mentioned, you mentioned some of the players that you were sort of played alongside at Manchester United and Giggs, Keane, Beckham. Skulls Cantona Mark Hughes Brian Robson just the list goes on what what was what was that like to be playing with you know so many great players and um, in such a great squad
0: yeah well you t- t- we 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 trusted each other I mean, I mean I not necessarily uh, I liked each other I wanted to socialise but we trusted each other and, and we were we were right into that idea that when we were on the pitch we were we were kind of going, we were going to go into war as well, you know, mm-hmm. that it was us against them and against the world as well, we felt, because even when you're living in, inside Manchester United, it's always been a close knit family type, of, listen, to O'Brien, that was a close knit family time relationship. Uh, and the uh, atmosphere, and, and, and Alex Ferguson uh, um, very much uh, embraced that. Uh, so we we and we got that at season mentality because it was all we uh, United this my United that you know, mm. and we just took it on board as we we kind of spun it the other way around and said right we'll show you, uh, and that that a lot of that was from
2: was from this idea that you know nobody likes you but we don't care you know mm. yeah I mean, I, when 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 people think of those players individually they think of their skills their footballing ability. But it's clear from from what you're saying there that it was much more about it was that was important obviously, um, but it was about team spirit and kind of mentality and the and that fighting spirit. And also when you contrast to the the team that you joined in in eighty seven, fitness and and looking after yourself, all those things were were just as important as the raw ability that, that each player had.
0: Alex Ferguson he, he created a, a, a team and a squad in his own image and, and it took him a little while to do that uh, and then he and from when he did that and he got the, the success through the cup games the cup the uh, cup wins and then on to winning the first Premier League and and uh, releasing the pressure on everyone really that uh, the, the who do have not won in the, the a championship for twenty six years. And then they, and they just they slowly transformed and, and, and rebuilt teams right through
1: his, his tenure as a manager. Yeah. Mm. Well, one of the things that uh, I, I did really want to ask you about, which I've, I've heard you talk about before, is uh, the fact that sort of Ferguson brought in new ideas and, and new ways of doing things. A little bit before Wenger did with food, but... I want to. I want to hear a bit more about this jaffa cakes revolution that he brought to, <laughs> to Manchester United, where he he well, ditched ditched the custard creams but brought in the jaffa cakes. Ah, uh, yeah, well, it
0: saved me some money because I used to buy the custard creams and the bourbon creams in the morning. You know, so I was <laughs> like, I was a guy that you know, not that I had to do it, I just thought it was quite a pleasant thing to do. You know, just stop at the little shop in the bottom of the road. I hope they didn't go out of business because I wasn't buying <laughs> you know two packets of biscuits uh, five times a week, and it uh, it. He had, he, he must have read it somewhere, or spoke to somewhere, somewhere about about sports diet and how, where, uh, in other areas and other, and other, uh, disciplines of sport and how they prepare for their, uh, particular discipline. And in the, and in they, because we, we were having, I think, well, certainly for P match, it would be like fillet steak and cabbage chocolate, you know. Wow. Uh, and tins of peaches, you know, so. And this had seemed to be something that going on for and they had their first go at, at trying to change it, the the he got um someone in from some I think it was a um, um female dietitian from Manchester University or something, she came in and suggested what you do. Now, everything that she she put out or, or got the, the, the chef to cook was very much um sports food. But we, we just we just couldn't couldn't eat it. We couldn't go from uh, we couldn't we just couldn't go straight from what we were doing to drink to eating brown rice and, and vegetables and all all the other stuff that's that's probably that people uh, uh, very much understand is is a sporting diet uh, and that, that that failed because we, we never really Uh The way he managed to stumble up on um, Trevor Lee, who had been from uh, who's brought up in. Stretford uh, in Manchester not far from the cliff and Trevor was a, um, a dietitian or a food nutrition um, tutor lecturer at the University of Sheffield and what the beauty of uh, Trevor was was that he, Trevor grew up in a, um, a news agent's sweet shop and his parents allowed him to have any sweets he wanted <laughs> so when he was talking about it sounded like a, the ideal dream in the west of Scotland you know that that but you'd be growing up And anyway he did help himself to as much confectionery as he wanted and he he ended up paying the cost for that in the sense of he was he ended up being a big lad Mm -hmm. and uh, I think what happened with Trevor was that he found that the the big lads didn't attract any girls Mm -hmm. so he had to leave Manchester completely not just his, his parents' shop and then he went to Sheffield and enrolled on this uh, this course to do with uh, uh, nutrition and diet and he lost a shed load of weight and he got a lot of girls after that <laughs> but the beauty of him was he came in and he, he cajoled as he got this idea of, of the psychology that the manager was kind of using as well a lot of kidology so He, he recognized that we weren't going to, there were a lot of strong characters that you just mentioned before in there that were, it's going to be, who were, well, I was probably the most cynical of them all, but being resistant to change, you know, we wanted to, you know, like people come in, like we wanted to prove that you were, you knew what you were talking about, you know, Mm. and that you were worthy of coming into the dressing room. And he, and he was clever almost from the beginning because he said that the Jaffa cake, uh, was the lowest, you can still have chocolate biscuit. of course you can have Jaffa Cakes because they consti- constitute the sponge, the jam and the chocolate which are all part of the, the protein, the carbohydrate and the little bit of treat on the top with the chocolate and you can have as many of them as you like <laughs> and uh, they're free. Oh wow, we, we just wolfed into them. <laughs> <laughs> and then like these other the little diet diet, which was brilliant was he used to take the body fat but he used calipers so, and then a bit of arithmetic. And nobody ever questioned whether the, they were, uh, what he was really doing. But you come in, at the beginning, again, we didn't want to get it done because it, all the information has got to the manager. And he, he hit you enough times with a stick without having some some analytical data to hit you with, you know? Yeah. So we were all we weren't very keen on that. And I think we probably tried to bribe Trevor. To, but to his credit, he, uh, he, he refused to accept any of that and decided he was doing, going to do a good job. Yeah. And before long, I think, we threw a bit of um, psychology because he was saying, oh, that's the goal. You were, you were 9.8 last week. Look at you, are down at 9.2, the best you've ever been. The people were actually putting away from me, come in on the Monday, right, come on, do my body fat. Mm-hmm. So kind of, mm-hmm. was a switch there from from overindulgent probably on a Sunday in particular to maybe even on a Sunday more thought about thinking, yeah. I'm, I'm, and then it came a competition. Mm. So what's your body fat? What well, Oh, I'm going to beat you next week. Yeah. And, and, yeah. Every, like, and this is. And he, and he and he and he transformed. And he and he became accepted in the dressing room so much that he 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 would, he would he would be there all the time. And normally in the dressing rooms, you would sit there, chat, talk about all sorts of things that went on. Maybe even talk about the manager, or the games, or whatever else. And then Trevor just sit there and listen to it all, and he never, he never regurgitated it. all. He, mm. he, he gained her trust, mm. uh, and he was very good at what he did. And i uh, will never eat an old Jaffa cake. Though. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that the... not even three ones.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think the habits that he, he instilled in, in that team there it, it looks it looks like they may have had a lasting effect because when you see um, ex-Manchester United players from that era um, you know guys generally have looked after themselves um, you well know,
0: they... I mean the, the, the young ones really got into it you know I mean because they, they would be from probably from Roy Keane through uh, the uh, schools and Neville and the two Neville's Gixi, uh David you know they were they were they were properly entranced by it you know because yeah. they wanted to, to be the best they possibly can at everything and they wanted to to uh, uh, and they were like sponges you know like mm-hmm. young people are you know I, I was like I wanted to I wanted to show me the books and all that kind of thing and, show, and I used to go Trevor like, yeah, you're just taking the piss with us, aren't you Trevor he's just
1: used to laugh. <still laughs> You, you mentioned you mentioned pretty much all of the the class of ninety two there yesterday, and obviously we had the news yesterday that uh, Eric Harrison passed away. I, I saw you tweeted that you played a game under him as a yeah a youth aye. team. What was that like, and what was he like as a coach?
0: Well, it's the same thing as I said. It was like uh, it was he, he, he treated them uh, everyone uh, hard but fair. So he, he pushed them, uh, but when it when they needed a um, a nudge or a mini hair dryer, they got that, and when they needed a bit of comfort, they got that as well. Mm-hmm. Now, they, and they did the same kind of thing, and I played in the morning, so you, I was, so I played in, and then Brian Robson might have played in the same game, I'm not sure, but anyway, you were allowed to play in the morning, particularly when you come back from injury, so you play in the morning. So I played one morning at the cliff, and I'd seen Eric coaching him with different things, but I'd never been in the dressing room, and that's where I. I found out that he had um, he had his own um, quite blistering hairdryer as well, you know. Mm-hmm. And they, I think we won the game, but it was about the the performance. He wanted to do better. I keep doing better. I keep challenging stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I was I was probably on the this even end of part of the thing, you know, because mm-hmm. to show that you know it doesn't matter where you're at in you stage your career, you still have to uh, continue to uh, to battle and, and compete. Both as an individual and and, and within uh, and as a, a team, you know. So mm-hmm. he, he, he was consistent in, in the principles that he believed in, and that was already already bought into that. That Alex Ferguson
2: wanted. Yeah. And when you after, a dry sense of
0: humour
2: as well. So. After your playing career, when you moved into into coaching and you were director of the youth academy at Manchester United, was that was Eric still coaching then?
0: No, Eric had uh, had uh, finished because um, okay. Eric's another thing, <laughs> thing reminiscent about yesterday, Eric's thing all the time was uh, he was always kind of obsessed about you know, having enough money to retire on. You know, he enjoyed what he was doing, but he was also wanted to go and do other things, and uh, he particularly wanted to, to to get his handicap down. So he was quite often going on about uh, about having enough uh, enough and his pension fund to uh, to make that happen and, and, and he did do that and I think that sometimes the, the people might go on a bit too long in and, and football and lose their uh, the mojo really and it went out with, with all that intact and uh, although it went on to um, to help uh, with uh, with Wales for a number of years as well, so I think that that, that helped him along. But kind of said to him because it was a, it's really it was really a part-time role. I don't, I not think he was yeah. he did enough of, of, of working every day, or coaching every day. So yeah. and he had a good life after the the football, you know. And he did been involved in media stuff, and he got a nice little thing to working with uh, McDonald's skills as well. Mm-hmm. So I think he did quite well after uh, post United and. and I think certainly enjoyed himself up until he was well. Even I think I met him a couple of times. Even he'd, he was had uh, been diagnosed with dementia, and he, he was still he saw periods of uh, being lucid and he knew who he was and chat away and seemed pleased to see and things like that.
2: Yeah, well, he's um, you know he rightfully recognised as one of the architects of that that era of of Man United's. Uh, and and their their success and their transformation from you know you know pre-Ferguson to uh, to their their successes in the 90s and and uh, after the turn of the turn of the century so great that he's getting the recognition for that mm-hmm. i wanted to to ask you just about the the end of your playing career when you went back to to almost where it all started when you went back to motherwell <coughs> for for a few months um you know, obviously Motherwell is as as a as a a club that we talk about quite a lot, and in, in supporters direct Scotland as yeah. they're the they're the first supporter supporter-owned team in the, the top, top flight of Scotland. Um, obviously, you were there as a player before before that all happened. But what was how did you how did you feel going back to to that to to the first club where you got a, a decent run of games, and then um, what was it like playing there at the end of your career after having experienced so much? Um,
0: well, I'd, I'd made the uh, the decision to go there because. Um, I was aware that uh, that weirdo Nevin was going to get involved. <laughs> um, uh, but the, it took a lot longer than um, than they, they anticipated I think to get a to, to uh, conclude the negotiations uh, for the football club. Uh, and by the time that that, that happened um, I had um, I was I'm given an opportunity to go into coaching and that, I'd got to, i reached the conclusion that my playing career uh, was going to be a lot shorter than my coaching career, and I'd recognised that I, at that moment to, of the decision to to stop was that I could stop, and uh, I wouldn't regret it. Uh, so it was it was a fairly comfortable decision for me to stop playing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other the other aspect of your playing career I wanted just to touch on briefly is uh your your, your time for the Scotland Scotland squad um so yeah. you I, I think you got you know, 30 30 something caps um yeah. I in, in, in my in my head you, you scored more goals than than you actually did I think the one that I really remember your, your, your goal against uh, um, not the USSR but whatever they were called in the in the euros yeah, it's, 92 it's, yeah. The CIS, I mean that that strike uh, that that you had there, uh, yeah, it was, still it's still really valuable. The, the dubious goals panel gave it to me, so I'm accepting it. It's in the it's in the, uh,
0: the annals of history, you know. And I scored against the mighty Estonia in Epatodri. Uh,
2: yeah, <laughs> I think that
0: was the last time I played for Scotland.
2: The Is finish. that right? Is that your final cap? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 that that's a, it must must fill you with a lot of pride having represented your country. And, uh... Oh, I mean, of course you do. I mean, you're
0: I mean, As a fifteen-year-old a boy, I used to re- refuse to get a lift to uh, school uh, uh, in my mother's car. She used to take my my brother and my sisters to school before she headed off to. I think she was uh, teaching herself then. Uh, and I refuse because I like to walk, mm-hmm. so that I could like daydream about playing a professional football player, playing for all those teams that I played for, uh, mm-hmm. and also playing for your national team. And everything that happened to me in, in all the situations far outweighed my um, my daydreams, you know. Which uh, which again is totally enjoyable for me. Yeah. Um, it's now called. It's, it's got a new name now. There's these people who've been to university that become. Psychologists get involved in football, call it uh, visualization. But mm-hmm. I think it's daydreaming myself. <laughs> I still daydreaming I still daydreaming, daydreaming about doing things that I'm never going
2: to do. So. <laughs> and when at the at the Euro Championships in '92, how aware were were you, were you and the, the other players of the reaction that the fans were getting? Um, oh, yeah, it
0: was great because with the in, inside, certainly we were. We were kind of sheltered in the sense of where we were uh, located, but the, the 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 people at the games were just like uh, full of joy, and that the, that joy just overspilled all the way through. Um, it gave me a kind of an in because it, it was one. I, I, I love football fans, and I love, and I understand about it having spent most of my life being a fan, and that, and understand exactly what 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 being a football fan. Uh, should be and can be like and that I've always recognised that, that a, a lot of people then and now sacrifice a lot of things to go and watch football matches uh, whether it's a, a game at the local football team or even travelling to watch team or, or even and maybe even more prevalently to go to international games, European games if your team's forced enough to be involved in them and and, and with, the, uh, with the Tartan army and, and that, giving up that sort of thing is that, and I have always assumed that most of the play- people who come to watch and shout and scream and sing and dance and be critical and and, and praise it in the same measures would rather be on the pitch than standing on a terrace. and that's how I've always viewed it. So I feel that I've always been privileged to be on the pitch getting abuse if you want to yeah. call it abuse but I just and was, was just like people are entitled to you should be they've travelled all that way and uh, all the way th- the two games the two games in particular the Germany game and the uh, um, the CIS game or whatever great what I thought. We, we think we played pretty well in all the games we lost 1-0 in the last minute to the Netherlands uh, and we, we got we lost a couple of goals to Germany I think we actually played really quite well in the three games uh, and the, the sport was great but there was one guy I just to decided he just wasn't having me you know And he was right behind the goals all the time so when we were under the caution defender my position was I could hear them shouting and screaming at me all the time <laughs> and the fences up there as well I hear them shouting and screaming all the time thinking nah, I, I, I was just standing in the goals at this thing I don't mind somebody I've like miscontrolled the ball or <laughs> mis-tackled or I've done something that is just like this is the quietest part of it. Maybe that's why I can hear, because the rest of the time it was so raucous, you know. Anyway, for all, every moment I was anywhere near there, this guy was standing at both games, and he's he's given me plenty, you know. So we, we won the game, and I guess, yes, I thought, and we went, the supporters were all over the place. I thought, oh, right, I'm going to go and ask this guy. <laughs> So I wandered down, wandered down the pitch, and one of the people asked me what was it doing, I wandered all because he wasn't allowed out, so I wandered all down the pitch and the guy said so the guy can't kind of get out so he can see me wandering down and he, he, I come all the way down to see him and I went look, I says what is, what's wrong with you and these mates were absolutely I'm on them, He's like yeah you tell him and all that kind of thing and he just said, it uh, has nothing personal. <laughs> 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 and I said oh fair enough I'm glad you a good time and thanks very much for coming on, like, and all that so, so I knew about all this sort
2: of and, and did, he, did, he give you a, did he give you a wee kiss through the railings like he did to the podium oh, no, stra- just, just after it's, it's just this, like, the, it had been like poor guy really he was all the, it didn't matter. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't personal. It was just that was just what I, what it was, you know. Just, yeah. it it was a bit. It ended up being a bit of fun, you
0: know, like because he, he's surrounded by his mates. He can't get out. He's watching me coming towards. I'm coming all the way to right up to him. Didn't say anything to anyone else. And like he's, he's like, go on, what are you going to say now? And he, <laughs> and he like he went. It's not personal, you know. That was it, you know. So.
2: I, mean, I think no, I think, no. think something you said just about just a couple of minutes ago is that, that, that passion, that criticism that, that people have, that comes that comes from passion, that comes from care, and that comes from wanting well, to so be out there people kicking people every ball themselves. People care, yeah. And, yeah. and, and I, 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 I regale
0: against any time anybody, all these, anybody ever says about all well, the criticism from the state of this and that. But they're quite happy to take the praise and all that, quite mm. happy to take the accolades. But if you, if in someone else's eyes you don't do something quite right, you do, then that's not we don't we can't have that. Of course, I've been to football games. It doesn't matter what kind of game it is. People go for whatever reason it is. So they might go because their job's crap and that's the best thing that happens to them. That twice a week or that one time a week. That all then about whatever they do pre the game, whatever they do during the game, whatever they do at half time, whatever they do after the game is. May be the highlight of their week, and they're, just, they're entitled to do whatever they want as, as long as it's not uh, illegal. And, that, yeah. and, and that, everybody should be involved in that. And say, get that in your head. Mm. You yeah. dreamed a bit doing it when you were watching it. When I was standing watching football games, I thought oh, I'd love to be on there. I want that to be great. whatever that's like, uh, and to.
2: Then being, you know, I mean, you should, you should be, you can be fortunate that someone is taking the time out to come and criticise you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Sacrificing yeah.
0: to come out to say
2: something. As, as a as a great, great way of of kind of you know you 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 clearly understand supporters and that's like a, a great lead into what we want to talk to you about next about your role with FansBet, um yeah. since you've been involved with them as an ambassador. you tell us a little bit about how you came to to know about them to get involved with them and um what your take is on 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 their distinctive version of of sports sports betting well the, I, I know i
0: got to know the uh norwegians who own the uh, and came up with the idea and i i I thought it was it was refreshing from the beginning because it made it clear that they they really wanted to do this but they didn't want anything to do with football clubs because they thought that they wasted money Mm. and they thought they wasted money uh that kind of sponsorship money on um shareholders or they wasted it on other uh that they were interested in they wanted to try and make a difference uh to the people who were like them so the majority of them are manchester United supporters, i mean my supporters for a long long time uh they knew more about me and my career than than i did mm-hmm. uh, including my birthdays and all that kind of thing and i really and when he said that then they were they were right away it's saying that's it we're going to any money we make 50% of the net profits we want to go back to the supporters for them to decide what they want to do with it and uh, after a period of time they asked me if for the interested in becoming an ambassador and I, I was delighted to do it to do it for them for the reasons that they're doing it that the supporters can then hopefully find a way of, of improving uh, their experiences going to football uh, matches or uh, improving their own football clubs or or anything to do around about what a fan
1: uh, uh, a fan and a fan experiences mm. yeah mm. and are there any are there any projects so far where you've you know favorite projects you've seen where the the, the profits have benefited a, a cause which you know fans care about
0: well there's a couple of things that you can look on um, the Fans Bet uh, website but one uh, a couple of things that I like, one that's not on it uh, uh, is that um, one club decided that with the money, the funds that they receive from Fans Bet they would take um, three uh, people who were living on the streets uh, and take them to a football match and give them the whole kind of experience of going to the football match. Well, the difference is because they, they took them for some tea beforehand, took them into the ground, got them a programme uh, and got them involved in you know, sitting watching the, f- the football. Uh, the, the only supposed thing, that I think, that uh, maybe it's a little surprise that they got was that, <laughs> that two of them left at half-time because it was costing them money.
2: <laughs> right, <laughs> right. But the other one that I really like uh, and it's kind of
0: very close to what I think a lot of fans are, are enthusiastic about and very much looking forward to it is that there was a fans that contributed £10,000 to Shrewsbury to open the, the first safe standing section mm. uh, in, in a football stadium in England and Wales. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and it's something that uh there's nothing, I mean, for me, that's a proper experience for watching football. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also allows you that freedom, isn't it? You can't, I can't imagine there'd be anything worse than, than sitting in that seat that you you paid for, uh, and you may be sitting something that says somebody that you can't stand and you can't abide <laughs> <same>, you know. <laughs> I mean that must happen to
3: people
0: you know think, oh, or, or something occasionally they've given the ticket to somebody else and some other guy is over ghetto you go, Oh and it's killing you the experience of, of <laughs> what you're doing, you know. Yeah. When you when you're in when you were on the terrace and you could just walk away. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you, you know, and, and, and I think that's gotta be the future of I mean it's already pretty clear that It does work with a number of uh, stadia in Germany that have got them. That's right,
2: Mm -hmm. and safe Mm -hmm. safe standing as you mentioned, as as you kind of intimated there. Um, something that's very popular with supporters, and we we see it year after year in the national uh, survey of Scottish football supporters. When we ask the questions about about safe standing being introduced, you know, it's 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 one of those almost no-brainers that this is something that pretty much all all supporters want. There's exceptions to everything. Some people do want to sit down in a conventional seat, um, but safe standing areas in in any in any football ground seems to be something that's, that be be fairly uncontroversial. And as you've said, it's proven to work and proven to be safe it's not just the safe standings. not just the name it is actually a safe way of, of watching football mm. so yeah that's great that, that part fans part, get worried to do thing so is, much there
0: yeah but very much a part of that kind of thing you're saying there is a choice if mm-hmm. so yeah. you got a choice you should be able to have a choice if you want to sit down and part of that sitting down whether whether you have to sit down because of of uh, it, because you can't stand up for that period of time Well, you, you don't want that then spoiled by everybody standing up round about
3: yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. if you can take that kind like, of way, if you want to stand, you go. You can go and stand over there. Right. So I would have thought.
0: I would have thought that uh, the Borussia Dortmund's ground there wouldn't be many people standing elsewhere in the ground if there's mm-hmm. fifteen thousand people standing behind the goals.
3: That's right. Mm-hmm. So all
0: those ones that can that, that might would fancy maybe oh I'd like to go in there, but I can't because you know I'm you're, my age and I can't stand up for that period of time. <laughs> but I've got a, bit of a sore back or whatever else it is. But you you you'd,
2: you not, your game's not being disrupted by people standing up. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah.
2: That's great so we would kind of direct our, our listeners to to read more about the, the Shrewsbury story and that project and 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 what a difference it's made to them mm. um so we're we're very proud to be associated with fans a bit because we we do see them genuinely wanting to do something different as you've as you've said there and i think there's a lot of success stories that are starting to emerge and, and i think more will emerge um o, o, over over time now that they're beginning to become more active in in Scotland i i mm. i'm very keen for that
0: to happen because say that um, you, you, people are going to bet people have, have had bets on things for, for hundreds of years and you're not going to stop people yeah. betting uh, but if, the best thing about it and going to this kind of thing is if you win that's incredible because that's hopefully what you do it for but if you lose you could have that, the comfort that knowing that 50% of that profit will go back to something
1: that, yeah. that you love which will which yeah. would be, would be the football and football fan very much so fantastic yeah. fantastic, fantastic. Okay, brilliant. Well, thank you very much for your time, Brian. Really appreciate you coming on the podcast.
2: Yeah, it's been great to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks for asking. Okay, uh, we'll hopefully catch up with you again sometime soon um, and uh, enjoy the rest of the football season.
1: Thank you very much. You
2: too. Okay,
1: cheers.
2: Perfect, cheers. Great. So that's, uh, we'll switch off the recording now. Thanks very much, Brian. That's that's absolutely ideal. It's... So thanks once again to Brian for joining us to to talk about his career uh, and his uh, his views of football. Uh, playing football, coaching, um, and of supporters.
1: Yeah, yeah, and he's a great. He must be, a, must be a great ambassador for fans. Bet to have because he he actually truly. You get the re- sense he really truly actually. Yeah, he really what understands he's what about and he knows yeah. everything that's happening and. Yeah. You know, uh, given those examples of Shrewsbury and Peterborough, yeah. and how the how the money's really helped the local community and and the fans is that, really impressive. That's right.
2: Yeah, understanding what's important to supporters and then, you know, organising that. Uh, um, you know the the fan's bet fan partner project around that, that mm-hmm. is fantastic mm-hmm. um, coming back to what he was talking about about his his playing career um, and it really struck me that, and as I said in the interview, when you think of all the players that played for Manchester United alongside uh, Brian. Um, you think of their individual talents and them being exceptional footballers, and they were exceptional footballers um, But what comes across in, 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 in how Brian describes it is that the other things were were just as important in that the attitude the teamwork um, the discipline, the attitude towards nutrition and, and mm. fitness you know they gave them as much of an edge as their individual abilities did and mm. and the coaching that they that they received
1: mm. so. yeah, very much so and it was also nice to hear talk about eric harrison as well and the kind of the, the involvement he had with him and obviously his sad passing yesterday to hear that first-hand experience of somebody that knew him and yeah. could see him and, and get a sense yeah. of the hair dryer treatment exactly. that must have been uh must that hair dryer must be shared around quite a bit <laughs> <early> Trafford, <laughs> i guess <laughs> maybe had more than one hair dryer possibly and the budget <laughs> and stuff like that <laughs> <laughs> but that was uh that was nice so yeah. yeah great great interview and thank you very much to to brian for coming on the podcast we've got more We've been quiet. We appreciate we've been quiet for a little while. It's been a busy, busy time for us yeah. both, but uh, we've got some crackers coming up. So please, uh, please do come back next week.
2: That's right. Yeah, we're looking to get back towards the towards the, the once a week schedule of, of getting a podcast out to you uh, to help promote the work that we're doing. Um, and also... I'll give you some different perspectives on football from, from different different people.
1: We will also be having some, some live coverage from the from the Women's World Cup later this year as well, some on the road That's podcasts. Right. So That's that'll right. be a bit different and we'll be getting a, a good inside perspective on the women's games. So um, please yeah. yeah tune with us for the rest of twenty nineteen. Yeah. Until then, see you later. Okay. Enjoy your football. Behind the
0: Goals is a Supporters Direct Scotland podcast. You can get in touch with the show by emailing goals at hotmail.com or you can also tweet the show at supdirectscot. Scott. That's SUPP Direct Scott.